0: John chapter 10. I'm going to start in verse 7. John chapter 10, verse 7. I'm reading from the the NIV tonight. John chapter 10, verses 7 through 10. The Bible says this. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and they will go out. They will find pasture. John chapter 10, verse 10, one of the most famous verses in the whole Bible. Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal, to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it. To the full. The Bible says the thief comes only. In other words, Jesus is saying when he comes, he's never there to just be there. When he comes, he has an agenda and his only agenda. He has no other agenda. He has no other motive. He has no other reason for showing up other than to steal from you, kill you, and destroy you. He wants to take. But Jesus says, I want to give. I have come that they might have life and that they might have life to the fullest. Anybody thankful for that Zoe kind of life, that abundant <laughs> life, that God kind of life? So, Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you. Help us over these next moments we have together. Speak to us clearly. We need you. We're here in the middle of the week because we, we need you. We need We don't just need a message, we need a word. We don't just need a sermon, we need a word from heaven. Because one word can change our entire lives. And we thank you tonight that you have come to declare a word over us. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen. 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 I love John chapter 10. I love the way John writes. I love the way John thinks. I love the way John reminds us of what Jesus Said I I love the way John puts this emphasis on Jesus being divine, being eternal, being there in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. I love John's focus and I love how John tells us this story. He tells us that Jesus is teaching and I can imagine Jesus being near a gate or being near something like he's talking about and pointing and directing because Jesus loved to use imagery and parables and Jesus is telling this story and I, I can imagine their their imaginations are, are running wild as Jesus is talking and I love how John tells this. And John uses this this Greek word that's different from bios, which bios just means life or or just to kind of be alive but John uses this word zoe which means abundant life or the God kind of life and he says this is what God's intention is when it comes to you God does not come to take from you God comes to give to you the enemy wants to take from you but God is a giver as a matter of fact he would write for God so loved the world That he gave his only begotten son. That whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. John is convinced that God is not a thief and God is not a liar. John is convinced that God is a giver. Is anybody in the room tonight convinced that God is a giver? God's a giver. So he uses this word, Zoe. I love it. He says he's not just trying to give you bios. He's not just trying to make you alive, but he's trying to give you his kind of life. In other words, I'm trying to give you a different life than the life that you are living, trying to give you a different life than the life that you are living. It's not that you're not breathing air and it's not that you don't exist. It's just that before you encounter me, you're not really living. You're, you're a dead man walking. You're you're not really alive. Your spirit is dead. You might be physically alive, but your spirit has not come alive yet. That the real you, the the part of you that lives forever. That part of you that when he breathes in you and, and that makes you animated. And, and, and that's what happened to us in the beginning. As a matter of fact, when God created man, the Bible says he breathed into him the breath of life and he became animated. He became a living soul. And so I'm so thankful that I'm not just this physical body that you see. Anybody in the room want to say amen to that? But I'm more than meets the high. I, 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 I'm bigger than 5'10 in the spirit. Come on, I'm stronger than these arms would say in the spirit. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, even though my body is is decaying, my spirit is actually increasing. Anybody in the room thankful that as I age, even though my body might decay, it doesn't mean I have to age in my spirit. I can be more alive now than I've ever been before in my spirit. I love that. I love that. And the Bible says this in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 7. God is speaking and Isaiah prophesies and he talks about this God who made us and created us for his glory. He says, God made us for his glory. A lot of people ask me over these few years that I've been preaching and in ministry, I'd say one of the most common questions I get is, what am I here for? Why do I exist? What is my purpose? What's the meaning of life? And I think if we're not careful, we'll take the cues of those questions from the culture and from, from family and friends who have become obsessed and engulfed in the culture. And we will start to believe that maybe we are here for purpose and Maybe we are here for destiny. And maybe we are here, you know, to to fulfill some sort of, you know, thing that's out there for us that we should be chasing. Or maybe we're here to have some idea. Or maybe we're here to solve a problem. And all of that could be true. But if you really get down to the reason that you and I exist, we exist for God's glory. Like we are... Bears of His image, and we are to reflect His image back to Him. Jesus put it this way in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. He said, In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds, and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Your life is supposed to reflect God so much that people, after they encounter you, feel like they have encountered the Lord and begin to praise God because of the life that we live. That's God's intention for us. And I wonder, I wonder how many people, after they have encountered me and you, how many people feel like they want to glorify God. (laughs) Well, that's a tough question, because I think very often in life we are not chasing his glory. We are chasing happiness and fulfillment and purpose and identity. All of those things are important, but they are not the main thing. And if they become the main thing. Thing, then we will stop reflecting God's glory because happiness isn't our purpose. Purpose isn't even our purpose, His glory is our purpose. And we can misunderstand purpose if we don't first understand that I am created to reveal God's glory. In other words, God didn't shape me in my mother's womb and get me into the earth how he got me into the earth so that I could go off and do my own thing. God put me in the earth so that I could do what he has put me in the earth to do, and before I'm a preacher, before I'm a father, before I'm a I'm a husband, before I'm, a, I'm, I'm whoever you see me as, before all of that, I am a bearer of the image of God and I am responsible to reveal His glory in the earth. And even if that doesn't line up with my personal happiness and my personal agenda, I'm not here for my agenda. As a matter of fact, God has no obligation to my agenda. His only obligation is to get glory out of my life. And if I belong to Him, He will make sure that He gets the glory from my life. Whether I do it out of my own free will, or I do it kicking and screaming, He will get glory out of my life. And I think, when we chase things like purpose and happiness, and we get sidetracked because here's, here's even the thing about happiness. I heard someone say this recently. They, say, they, said, they said, happiness is rarely catchable, and if you catch it, it's not keepable. <laughs> happiness is rarely catchable, and if you catch it, it's not keepable. And so here we are. Designed and created to reveal God's glory. Designed and created to experience life and life to the fullest. And I think those two things bring attention in our lives that we've got to be very careful to make sure we are not pursuing what we believe is abundant life. And what God's word says is abundant life. Because our concept of abundant life and God's concept of abundant life are very often two different things. Because you could be right now a follower of Jesus in a country that isn't kind to Christians. And Christians are being murdered and Christians are being persecuted. And you could be experiencing abundant life. And you can be in America and have a big house and a nice fancy car and not be experiencing Zoe life. Because your idea and my idea very often of what abundant life looks like is contrary to God's word. And I want to talk to you a little bit about God's word tonight because I want to address something that I believe is really affecting us. And it's really... This, these past couple weeks, I talked about how that we can, if we're not careful, we'll start, to, we'll start to have a faith that doesn't look like biblical faith at all. It'll be a mix of this and a mix of that and some of what my mama said and some of what, you know, the Bible says and some of what one of my aunts said and something, a little bit of what my professor said. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like this mix of like, you know, God said, mama said. God said, Dr. Phil said, God said, you know, the news said, you know, and and in America where we have so much information and access to so much information, we go to so many other sources than the Bible very often for what we need to know about life. And in the same way, the worst thing you could possibly do if you're not a doctor is diagnose yourself. And even doctors go to doctors. Because self-diagnosis is the worst kind of diagnosis. You have so many blind spots. There's, I can see everybody in totality in this room but myself. We are, you, you are the hardest person for you to see. And if we're not careful... We will have this mix and match and cherry picked faith of I like that about God and I I like this about the culture and I like I like what God says about this. But man, I really like what this movie kind of taught me about relationships and we'll get our cues from different places and and no wonder we aren't experiencing Zoe life. Because we are. We are double minded. We are tossed to and fro like with every wind of doctrine, every new idea that comes along, every new thought that comes along, every trend that comes along, we're we're in it. And I I, want to I want to bring us back. To solely relying on scripture. Oh, you would have thought you would have got more amens in a church full of a bunch of people who are supposed to be Christian, right? Like, I would think that most of y'all in this room tonight have given your life to Jesus. All right, okay, So, so, so when I say something like, I want to bring us back to solely building our life on Scripture... We should be like, yes, absolutely. But I think for so many of us, man, it's like if I have to live out the Bible, then I then the blogs I read and the books I read and all of the other information I get must filter through the lens of Scripture and make it through the test of bible so, so that I don't start applying stuff to my life that God never said and I don't start making things the main thing that were never the main thing to God It's amazing to me that the church has so many different denominations and and even denominations have 450 different versions of their denomination Because because we we have made things that are important to us as if they carry the same importance to God. And things that divide us and separate us, you don't see that division in the scripture. And so something must be wrong if we have a pattern in the church that is different than the pattern in scripture. Something must be wrong. Now I'm thankful for all of the different expressions. I, I don't think everybody has to express the same way. There are some people that come and they, they don't like this style of worship. They'd rather have a different. I'm not talking about style. I'm talking about dividing and separating from one another and calling each other heretics over stuff like when is Jesus going to return? When Jesus Himself said, nobody knows. (laughs) But you're convinced that it's pre or mid or post. My dad, when I was growing up, people would ask my dad, What are you? Are you pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib? My dad said, I'm pan-trib. He said, I just believe it's all gonna pan out in the end. That's (laughs) I just want to be faithful. He that endures to the end will be saved not he that's in the right denomination at the end will be <laughs> saved. And I think we have made things vi- that are valuable to us and we have put them on the same level as value to God. And it's fine it's 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 okay to to have different beliefs and different but when we start to elevate those things to the level that God cares about this the same way I care about this then we have missed the whole point of the Bible. If you are convinced you know when Jesus is returning, but you are still rude to waitresses at restaurants, you have bad religion. (laughs) <laughs> so the enemy, oh, he loves he loves America because and he loves the freedom of America because in America we we're all free to say and be and do whatever we want even if that means destroying other people with our words and so he loves it here cuz he's got us fighting over stuff that matters to us that doesn't even matter to God. So no wonder we hear about Miracles in third world countries, and we're here starving for the miraculous. It's because we can't get in unity, and the Bible teaches (laughs) that where there's unity, that's where the anointing is. Why aren't any yokes being broken? Because y'all aren't unified, because it's the anointing. You only get the anointing with unity, and it's the anointing, the Bible says, that breaks the yoke. (laughs) <laughs> so the Bible tells us, it tells us stuff all the time. Like um, he, he, God really knew what he was doing when he was, through the power of the Holy Spirit, writing this wonderful book. He said, he said here's, the thing about, here's the thing about the letter. He says, the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And here's, here's what happened to a lot of us when we got saved. We went from one form of bondage to another. You don't sleep around anymore, but you are mean and you are unforgiving. Oh, you don't go to the clubs anymore, but you are petty and vindictive. You just went from one form of bondage to another. Oh, you don't do drugs anymore, but you are unloving, bitter and judgmental. And dead religion is killing the church just as fast as immorality. Because dead religion has a church that is delivered from Egypt, but stuck in the wilderness. So Paul says in 1 Timothy, he says, Fight the good fight of faith, take hold of eternal life with which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. He says it's one thing to be saved. It's another thing to lay hold of your salvation. To take hold of it. It's one thing for the grace of God to pull you up out of Egypt. It's another thing for you to wrap your arms around that grace of God. And allow that same grace to pull you through the wilderness into the promises that God has for your life. So we find ourselves looking at the Bible like, yeah, it's, it's good. But I'm not sure, you know, it's relevant. <laughs> you know, it's, it's good. And I, I appreciate that it's been around thousands of years more than me and my puny brain. But, you know, I was thinking that was that's where you messed up. That's where you <laughs> that's where you blew it. I would, you know, the Bible says, but I was thinking that's a terrible idea. So that's why Deuteronomy would say things like this. You shall not add to the word which I am commanding you, nor take away from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God with which I command you. but I don't like broccoli. (laughs) And there's some broccoli in the Bible. But God says, you shall not add to the word which I'm commanding or take away from it, even if you don't really like what I say. It's not on the table for you to take away or to add to it. People ask me all the time, Robbie, what's your feelings about, you know, sex before marriage or homosexuality or 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 unforgiveness? And I'm like, I don't really have an opinion. I got a word for you. Yeah. I, I got what the Bible says. I, men have opinions, but God has a word. And and here's what we here's what we do, because it doesn't fit with our feelings. We add to and take away. And God's like, you cannot do that and still call it my word. <laughs> I was talking to somebody one time and they were struggling with a particular sexual sin. And 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 they were mad at me because because they were like, well, you you just you you just aren't loving and you're just and I'm just like, I, I, I'm listen, I love you and I, God loves you. God loves the whole world, but. God has something better for your life than this. And and they were so mad so mad at me. It's like, you just keep you just keep using that Bible. And I listen, I said, "Hey, give, just just listen, just a second. Let's just say. Let's just say I just decided that I didn't want to be faithful to my wife and I wanted to have an affair and I actually I fell in love with another woman and I left my wife and my kids and I went into a relationship with this other woman. Would you still see me as your pastor? No. They said, no, because you're held to a higher standard. And I said, I absolutely agree. But where did you get that from? Where did you get that I'm held to a higher standard from? Where did you get that it's not okay for me as a pastor to cheat on my wife? Where did you get that idea from? The Bible. So the same Bible that you want to use to disqualify me doesn't apply to you. And this is what we're doing in culture right now. Just, I really like that about Jesus. Oh, that's terrible. (laughs) And it's what we we want. We want Jesus to fix it, but we don't want him to tell us what to do. (laughs) And, and, and And we misunderstand even stories in the Bible. And so we'll get to church and we'll we'll be like, Shout for the victory! Shout! And the walls are coming down! And I'm like, There was a whole lot of obedience that took place before the shout. That made the walls fall down. Walls don't fall just because you shout. Walls fall when you obey the command. It wasn't the shout. No, no, no. It wasn't the shout. It was that they did whatever the Lord said to do. If God would have said, slap your neighbor, the walls would have come down if they slapped their neighbor. If God would have said, blink your eyes, the walls would have come down because they obeyed the word of God to blink their eyes. The, listen to me, walls don't come down because people shout. Walls come down because they obey when God says, Shout now. This is, what, this is what we're missing about the Bible. It's like, yeah, I, I want a Savior, but man, I don't want a Lord. Yeah. Fix me, Jesus, but don't tell me what to do. Who are you? It's 2022. <laughs> This is the world we're living in. Listen to what, and, and, and then we we'll, and then we get in, then we get into to silly talk. We we get into like because we because we cannot we cannot keep the law perfectly, so so we get into silly talk like the law isn't applicable to our lives, like the commands of God are not applicable to our lives any longer. And we get we get into silly talk like, you know, uh, it's just so we're just it's, the law's just so hard and it's just, oh, it's such a burden and it's so heavy. Oh, that's not what the Bible says about it. Actually, can I read you what the Bible says about it? Deuteronomy 30 verse 11 this is what the Bible says. Now, what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you. I just can't keep those ten mean commandments he says or beyond your reach it's not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend to heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so we can do it nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it no the word is very near you It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you may obey it. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to keep his commands, his laws. Then you will have and live and you will have increase. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. Here's the issue. The law was never meant to be a means of us being saved. And it becomes a burden if you try to keep it to be saved. Because you know by now, as I do, I don't perfectly keep it. And the only way I can be saved by it is to perfectly keep it. So that's why Jesus perfectly kept it for me. So that I wouldn't be under its curse. That I would become in Christ... And now I stand before God as someone who has perfectly kept the law. But that does not mean that the law does not still govern my behavior. (laughs) It doesn't save me. But it can help to sanctify (laughs) it doesn't make me holy in front of God, but keeping it makes people watch my life and say, God is awesome. So that's why James says, faith without works is dead. It stands alone. You just saved, bro, all by yourself. Good for you. Nobody is glorifying God because of you. I'm not just trying to get my ticket punched. I want to do what I was created to do. I want to bring glory to God. Let me give you just a few ways to to tell whether or not you are slipping into a faith that doesn't look like biblical faith. Number one. God's instructions become suggestions. They are not suggestions. They are instructions. Very often, they are commands. What did Jesus himself say about his commands? If you love me, you'll keep them, you'll do what I say. Well, what are the commands? Well, the Bible sums them up a couple of times like this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and mind and strengthen and love your neighbor as your self. The Bible would even tell us in the New Testament, it would say if you don't love your brother who you do see, you don't love God. So this idea that I get saved and my lifestyle doesn't matter, my decisions don't matter. My obedience has no impact on the quality of my life. A dumb person would tell you different. My decisions have a massive impact on the quality of my life. Remember Deuteronomy, he said, said, I want you to keep these commands not for your salvation, but for your increase. When you don't obey me, you live the life that the thief wants you to live. Because everything that you give yourself to that isn't me will enslave you. And I don't want slaves, says God. I want sons and I want daughters. Sin wants slaves, Satan wants slaves. I want you to be a slave to your fear, slave to your shame, slave to your addiction. God wants to set you free and make you in relationship a son or a daughter. Let's go back to Luke 15. When the son comes home, he says, Dad, I, if I could just be a slave. And he's like, no, 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 son. And he gets all of the garments that identify him as a son. Because it's God saying to us, I don't want you in slavery and in bondage to anything. I want you in a loving son and daughter relationship with me as a father. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. That's what I want to give to you. I don't want to take from you. My commands aren't taking anything from you. They are actually giving life to you. When you obey me, the Bible says his commands, his word, is spirit, and it's life. It's life to my bones even. It resuscitates. When I'm dry and I'm thirsty and I'm hungry, an act of obedience and surrender to God will bring strength back to my body. Have you ever had a just a nagging sin and when you when you finally confessed it and you talked about it and you. Like like the scripture says, confess your sins to one another and be healed. It, you don't get forgiven because you confess to your friends. You you get healed when you confess to your friends. Have you ever felt that power, just that acknowledgement that God, your word is is better than the decisions that I've been making? Your, your word is better than the path that I'm in? That's what repentance is all about. It's not feeling sorry. No, it's saying, man, what God has for me is so much I'm going in a completely different direction than I've been going because it brings life to my body when I sit with Monica and I say hey babe I've really been struggling with this there's freedom that comes I'm only enslaved to it when I hide it I'm only enslaved to it when I just keep giving into it I'm only enslaved to it when I just let shame overwhelm me. But I break off its bondage when I open up my mouth and I say, God, you see me just as I am. I repent of my sin and I talk to somebody, and my life starts to get healed and I start to get whole. Oh, man, everything changes. This is the commands of God are not burdensome, Deuteronomy says. They're not so far up in the heavens that you got to send some special agent to go get them and bring it back to you. He says it's very reasonable. Oh, it's so reasonable. There's spirit in their life. And and, and as a matter of fact, anything God commands you to do, the spirit empowers you to do it. Grace is not just this, this gift of forgiveness and your sins being cleansed. Grace is an empowerment. The apostle Paul said, I work harder than everybody around because of the grace of God. That's what he said. The gospel is not opposed to effort. The gospel is opposed to earning. Right. But grace empowers my effort. <sighs> That's why the Bible says when you, when, you, when you draw near to me, I draw near to you. When you make a decision to come to me, I come to you and I empower you. When you say I'm going to obey, God empowers the man that says I'll obey. Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, where is the... Where's the life? It's in the obedience. Ah. Another thought is that when boundaries become legalism, I have a faith that isn't biblical. And I'm not talking about man-made boundaries. This is what Jesus was so frustrated with. Jesus didn't come and rebuke himself. That stupid law I made in the Old Testament blood. (laughs) Jesus wasn't mad over the laws he gave. He was mad because they had added to it. And actually, they had diluted it. Remember Jesus teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you say, but I say to you. Jesus is reestablishing the law the way he sees it. And the way he defined it because men have perverted it for their own use and are using it to lord over people and rule them and judge them and get them to give to them and serve them. And Jesus said, I'm sick of man made religion. Jesus didn't come in and be like, you know, I. After thinking about it a little bit, I disagree with the Old Testament version of me, and I I went to counseling and I was a little hard, and uh, you know I I did a ayahuasca and I just I opened up my mind and. Uh, I you know I I went to Colorado and I went on a really good trip and it like opened up my eyes so that I could see that you know how I was. And then, and then he comes in like he's got flowing hair and he's just like, you know, I'm different now, guys. I'm different. Trust me, I'm different. He can't be different because the Bible says there's no shadow of turning. For him to come in the new, in, in the new covenant and say, I disagree with, no, it's, he's not in a disagreement with himself. It's just that that wasn't the fullness of. Of what the new covenant is. Those aren't bad promises. The new covenant is just better promises. Okay. And if we if we think every boundary that God sets is legalism. Then we'll always believe God's trying to take something from us. Here's another way you can do just a little bit of a faith check. Be like this is not Bible faith at all. If 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 I use the Bible to correct others more than I allow it to correct me. I think we just need to repent. Like just from that reaction, I feel like that hit home like the altars are open. Let's somebody get on those keys right now. It's it's serious. So I'm trying to get us back to this place where we, we don't just see Jesus as Savior, but he is Lord. And, and I don't want to accept everything from Jesus but his leadership. Wow. Wow. Mm. Let me give you a, a, really, a really good way to, because the Bible teaches, examine yourself, see, see if there's faith there. Make sure your, your religion is undefiled. Make, make sure your faith towards God is pure. Like, let's examine it a little bit. I want to I give you, real quickly, I'm about to close. I want to give you the difference between a person who makes mistakes and one who is in danger of hell. Oh, yeah, I'm one of those preachers that believe that hell's the real place. Oh, sorry about that. <laughs> No oh, hell's where we go in our mind after we die. It's, it's a mind game. It's hell on earth. That's a fiery pit where we burn. Okay. So what's the difference between a person being a person who makes mistakes and one who is in danger of hell? One tries to change the word to fit their lifestyle. And the other asks God for the grace. To obey. If you're calling yourself a follower of Jesus, but you're trying to change his word, you're not following Jesus. But the person who looks at it and says, man, that. That's good, God, but you know, God, sometimes I don't love my enemies like I should. And I repent. And I need your grace to help me. Remember when Jesus is teaching about forgiveness and the disciples are like, how many times do we have to forgive someone in a day? He's like seven times 70 and they're like. (laughs) they said increase our faith we don't look at God and say you know that's too much God the person that looks at God and says you're asking too much that's the person who's in danger of hell but the person who looks at God and says man I I need more faith I need more grace because you're right your word is true and I struggle sometimes to keep it. And I know you love me regardless of how well I keep it. Because that decision has been made because I'm your son or daughter. But I want to do it. I want to do what you say. Even as a parent, it's, it's, it's never with your kids. It's, is it, it's, it's never what they did. It's the cover up. Right, it's 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 never it's never the bad behavior, it's 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 the rebellion when you confront them. Yeah. Right? And and for us, if if we constantly are responding to the to discipline as if God is abusive and and God is controlling, and maybe we're not a son. Maybe we're not a daughter. Maybe we've put our faith in God, but not the one true and living God. Maybe we put our faith in a version of God that we created in our own minds and that version will not save you. So man, oh man, everybody in this room, including myself, we're going to make mistakes, we're human beings, but the Bible says, hey, when you do, you have an advocate with the Father, even Christ Jesus. When you sin, just talk to God about it. And say, God, man, I don't want to do that. I want to live for your glory. I want to honor you with my life. I want to be who you called me to be. And so help me. Give me the grace. Don't live in shame. Don't live in condemnation. Don't live overwhelmed. Because that's not what the Spirit of God wants to do. The Spirit of God doesn't come to tell you you're wrong so that you just sit in your wrongness. The Spirit of God comes to convict you because... When, when you're convicted, it's, it's you not only you know, it's that double edged sword that like one side of it is the truth and the other side is the grace. And Jesus said, I didn't come just in one. I came in grace and in truth. I, I came not only to deliver the, the blow of truth to your life, but I came to give you the grace once that truth is revealed to walk in the thing that I've revealed to you. And just because I don't keep it perfectly doesn't give me the right to change it. Everybody in this room has something that they struggle with, some desire that they struggle with. All of us do, that we have to say, not my will, but thine be done. I don't have any motivation to do it, oh yeah, you do, for His glory. There's no there's no reason for me to change. Oh, yeah, you do for his glory. But it won't lead to my happiness, but it's for his glory. It won't lead to my sexual satisfaction. But it's for his glory. It won't it won't make me feel good, but it's for his glory. And every person in this room has to say no to something that makes them feel good for his glory. Revelation 22, 18 through 19 says, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add to these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of this book of prophecy, God shall take his part out of the book of life. I don't know what that really means, but that does not sound great. And out of the holy city and from the things which were written in this book. To me, and I don't think this is a leap, but it sounds like somebody's name was written in a book and because they called God a liar, he took the name that was written in the book out of the book. I don't, I don't know exactly when that happens, how that happens, where we are when that happens, how far we've gone when that happens. I just know that Revelation says it can happen. And even though I don't like those verses, I don't get to change those verses. (laughs) Galatians 1 and 8, Paul writes and he says, but though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you, than that which we have preached unto you. Let him be accursed. So God, I repent when I have tried to change your word to fit my lifestyle. And I ask you tonight to help me because I love your word. The psalmist said, I delight in it. I find life in it. And I think sometimes we oppose God's word because sometimes God word God's word opposes us. It opposes what I want to selfishly do. It opposes when I want to get back at somebody. It opposes me when I want to hate those who curse me. It opposes me when I want revenge. It opposes me when I want to pursue my own desires. It opposes me when I'm led by my lust. It opposes me when I'm led by my faithlessness. It opposes me and it says that's not the way. The spirit nudges me and he says here's the way walk in it. Again, let's go back to Luke 15. When that son was in that pig pen and he came to himself, the Bible nowhere says that God says, look at you in this filthy pig pen. Look at all the dumb decisions. Nowhere does God rebuke him like that. The Bible says he comes to himself. That's that's a clear picture of repentance, realizing that, that this is is not the will of God for my life. I'm going home. And I wonder if tonight, if you guys would stand on your feet with me tonight, and maybe you're in this room tonight, and maybe you're already a believer in Jesus, and you just want to throw your hands up tonight and say, God, I'm coming home to your word. Coming home to your word. There are maybe some areas of our lives where we have... Maybe said, I like this, but I don't like that. Or I'll apply this, but I don't think I really want to apply that. And God, we're just, we're coming home to your word. (laughs) Help us to build our lives on it. It's a firm foundation. Kings and presidents and leaders of nations have tried to remove it from our world. And in every case, your word rises from the ashes. The flower fades and the grass withers, but the word of the Lord will last forever God help us again to see your word as preeminent as the ultimate it's not a book full of suggestions it's a book full of life and if I'll obey it Obey it, I will increase. If I'll obey it, I'll find true joy. If I'll obey it, I'll find true purpose. If I'll obey it, I'll find the real meaning of this life, and that is for us to bring glory to your name. So, in Jesus' name, we pray. By your grace, help us we're coming home amen and amen amen and amen I feel like I should just open the altar you know for a minute I I don't want to keep our teachers longer than we have to but what I'll do is I'll, I'll close the service I'll let the worship team play and if you'd like to come and Maybe there's something in your life you want to leave here. You know, when I was growing up, they would say stuff like, leave it at the altar, you know. And people do. And people did. I mean, I grew grew up in a day when people would just drop crack pipes on the, you know what I mean? Like, they would put it all down. They'd come up. Put it all down and we didn't know are we supposed to call the cops I don't know well it's like what's the, what's the protocol for it's protocol for that But I want to give you an opportunity and the worship team will play and I, I love you and I believe in God that he's gonna gonna meet us on Sunday I can't wait to share this message with you on Sunday but maybe maybe take a minute and just say God I'm leaving this here tonight I'm so sub- there's something that you haven't been submitting to a word that you've been wrestling with and tonight you want to come and just lay it down and say I'm I'm leaving it here for your glory Amen Father in Jesus name we thank you we just are so grateful for your presence and uh, man you've you really showed up and we thank you for that we give you glory and honor for everything you've done and what you're going to continue to do and how this word is going to go deep down into the soil of our life and we're not going to allow the cares of life or the elements we're not going to allow the enemy to steal this one this is going to take root and it's going to produce 30 60 100 fold in our lives in Jesus name we pray everybody said amen Amen. I love you so much. God bless you.